Hello and welcome to the Green Pole podcast. Uh, before we start, I just want to say football has lost another footballing legend today, arguably the greatest player to ever kick a ball, Pele. In 1973, Pele and his club team Santos came to the cottage to play a friendly with Alex Stock's men, which saw us victorious with a 2-1 win. The Brazilian did what he did, what he done best and got on the score sheet, converting from the penalty spot. Uh, so tonight, I am delighted to be joined by Dan Crawford. Um, Dan, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm uh, I'm a bit emotional tonight uh, after after this news, which we'll we'll talk about. But uh, I'm very well. I hope you've had a nice Christmas, Al. Nice to have you back on the podcast. I know it's been a while. It feels like it's the first one I've ever done. You've been slacking. That's why. I know. Tell but... me about it. <laughs> uh, and also, we are joined by another Green Pole regular in Thomas. How are you doing, Tom? I'm good, mate. Yeah, the the news of Pele's uh, I think hit us all quite hard. Even though he wasn't someone of my era, he was someone everyone looked up to, and looked to as one of the greats. I watch videos in black and white. Probably the only game I watch videos of black and white in is is Pele. So um, yeah, it's just a sad day for football in general. I think. Yeah, I know. Growing yeah. up, it, it was the old Pele or Maradona, um, a bit like Messi or Ronaldo sort of thing. Um, but Dan, I believe you wanted to say a few words. Um, only that, I mean, Tom was just probably put Pele in my era. I'm not quite that old. Um, really? But, yeah, all right, less of it for you. Um, <laughs> so, as I revealed on a podcast only a couple of days ago, I, I turned 37 in December, so you can stop suggesting it's time for me to collect my pension, uh, Al. Um, but the, the Pele story is personal to me because um, I was picked out um, as an aspiring journalist to do a uh, children need event uh, with Pelé and Eddie Jordan of Jordan Motor Racing um, in 1998, just after the, the World Cup. Um, and in order to make me comfortable, because every word that Pelé says or any uh, is carried live on Brazilian state television, and the event that we were doing was carried live from Golden Square in London, on Sky News and the BBC and covered by ITV. And I'd never done any live television before. And they were all nervous that I was going to um, ruin it, basically. And Pelé, in his inimitable style, decided to ad-lib his um, first contribution, which was to ask me which football team I supported. Um, and so I told the assembled audience that I was a Fulham fan. And Pelé gave a five-minute he didn't know, but he gave a five-minute rundown of how much he loved playing at Craven Cottage, how he got a great reception from the Fulham fans. And that just put me right at ease to ask my questions. Um, and above, in my house is a signed um, shirt from Pelé, and he regularly sent messages to me. Uh, the last one was a Christmas card, Christmas message last year. They were previously all in English, Alan and, and Tom. But the latest one... Um, was in Portuguese and when I had it translated he said I've written these in English for you previously uh, please get the magnificent Marco Silva to translate this for you and wish him well done on a, on a magnificent start to the season and it was just the sort of man he was he was very generous and he was obviously very gifted as a footballer I like the idea that somewhere this evening George Cohen and Pelé are discussing winning World Cups together that's a, t- that's a touching story, Dan. 
and one I'm sure the listeners will uh, enjoy to hear, just like me and Tom just did. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Um, so let's get on to the Southampton preview. Um, so we currently sit in ninth place. A win could take us above the other lot down the road. Surely that's an incentive in itself, Tom? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, just touch on the game on on Boxing Day. It was, it was brilliant just to be back and to see Fulham playing again. It felt like forever, but to the team, you can clearly see that they've been training hard. Um, and yeah, it was like we'd never been away. High intensity, you know, great attacking intent. And uh, yeah, going forward into the Southampton game, you would hope that that wouldn't change. Uh, Southampton are obviously looking like they could drop under Nathan Jones now as well. Uh, new managers come in. It doesn't seem to have had the desired effect just yet. Um, yeah, I think that you know, the boys are just going, going to go from strength to strength, hopefully over the festive period, pick up nine points, to be honest. I don't, I don't see a game that we can look at and go, oh, we might lose that one. Um, Southampton, if we can get in front early on, I think it could be a route, to be honest. Yeah, it's it's one of those banana skin games, though, isn't it? You know, you, <laughs> you just think Fulham in the Premier League at home against a struggling Southampton side, what could go wrong? Um, in, in, the, in the past, maybe, but how many times have we said that on the pod and said, oh, this could be a bit of a tricky one or, you know, Fulham of old would have collapsed then, but it's not Fulham of old, is it? It's Marco Silva's Fulham and honestly, I think we're going to win, you know, and I think we'll probably win it quite comfortably. You're right. We'll do the score predictions at the end. Um, But Dan, the incentive is there, beat Southampton and go above the, uh, the horrible lot down the road. That's an incentive in itself, isn't it? It's a big incentive. It's an opportunity for certain. Um, I would just caution, you know, I've been watching Fulham for a long time. We tend to surprise. <laughs> a very long time, Dan, as we've already, uh, about 40 years now, isn't it? Okay. Um, <laughs> and one of the things I've learned is their capacity to uh, surprise you is, uh, you know, limitless. Um, and I would say the, the ingredients are there for this Southampton side to be an awful lot better than they are. OK, um, I do remember Nathan Jones. One of Nathan Jones' very few wins as Stoke manager came against Fulham when one of Scott Parker's less successful tactical ideas was to play Joe Bryan at centre-half. <laughs> and I seem to remember Stoke were really struggling and uh, they beat us very comfortably that day. And Nathan Jones decided to celebrate by fist-pumping in front of the Fulham fans. Um so, you know, what we don't want to see is a repeat of that in front of the Putney end come sort of 5.36 on uh, Saturday night. Um, but Southampton have some really good footballers. You know, I've been an admirer of James Ward-Prowse for, for a long, long time. It just hasn't come together for them yet. I don't think they can be quite as abject as, as they were against Brighton and have been at many points this season for the remainder of the season. And the one thing we know about Marco Silva is he won't allow anyone to rest on their laurels. Mm. Um, so we, we need to match that intensity and purpose, desire and high quality that Tom referenced from Sellers Park from the first whistle. Otherwise, 
will be in trouble because Premier League sides, whether they're at the bottom, the middle or the top, they'll punish any sloppiness. And we can't think that we achieve things um, when we haven't really. We're halfway through a season, not even halfway through a season. And we have to be right on it from the very beginning. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I do agree with that. But I suppose we have to look at this and go, well, you know, coming off the win at Palace on Boxing Day, it's probably a nice game to sort of go into next. Because um, as you said, Dan, you know, every game in a Premier League is a tough one. But I just think if we can get on that front foot early and score an early goal, it, it could be four or five. But Southampton, to me, are one of these teams that have been in the Premier League now for a good few years and they've not really done too much. And we've all seen it every now and again. There'll be a team that's sort of lingering for three or four seasons and then eventually they'll they'll drop. Uh, and I, I do fear for Southampton this season. Um, and I'm not sure Nathan Jones is the man to to take them to the next level. But we'll, we'll see on Saturday. Um, but Mitrovic is on 10 goals for the season so far. Uh, Thomas, this looks a great game for him to add to that considering the frailties at the back line of Southampton. Definitely, yeah, 100%. I think, um, obviously, we, we discussed it prior to the Palace game and we weren't sure he was he was going to make the Palace game, but he, he made it and then some, didn't he? He was, he was man of the match. He was all over the place, two assists and a great goal as well. So, you know, yeah, again, I think he's obviously going to be the main man on Saturday and I think that if we can feed him the ball, he's definitely going to score goals. He's going to get chances and he'll score goals. Um, I wouldn't put it past him to get a brace or a hat-trick on Saturday, to be honest, with the way that Southampton's defence was against Brighton the other day. It looked porous and it, it didn't look strong enough up against Brighton's attack. And I, I think he's going to bully the, their defenders on Saturday. If he's on it, if he's 100% on it, I think he'll bully their defenders on Saturday. You see, for me, this... Obviously, he's still not fully fit. Now, at what point will he get to that stage where he is fully fit? I, I'm still slightly concerned that him playing as much as he is isn't going to allow that injury to heal fully. Dan, do you think this? Do you think Silva's going to give Mitrovic a rest anytime soon, or do you just expect Mitrovic to carry on playing sort of 80-90% until the next sort of international break? Well, so as I understand it, Alan, and it is only as I understand it, um, Silver and Mitrovic had a conversation the day before the uh, Crystal Palace fixture about how fit he was mm. and how much he could help the team. And Mitrovic wanted to help the team and wanted to play and felt like he could play, and he did play. Now, you've got two issues here. One is, if Mitrovic can play and won't do any harm to the injury then why wouldn't you select him? At some point, he needs to have a breather. And also, we need to see a little bit more of Carlos Vinicius because he is our player. We bought him. We need to help develop him. I felt there were signs in that Manchester United match prior to the break that he was beginning to really trouble centre-backs, particularly in the second half. He was very good against West Ham in the friendly. He needs to get some more game time. You'd be mad not to play Mitrovic as much as possible, though. Um, but I would just say the X factor in this is how defenders who know that Mitrovic is not quite right play against him. 
And he had two very nice defenders. We know Joachim Anderson is a nice man. He was very generous um, on, bo- on Boxing Day. And, and thank you, Joa, for, for that lovely pass that you played. I've always admired your passing. Um, James Tompkins was very friendly until he wasn't, putting his elbow somewhere <laughs> he shouldn't have done. Um, I mean, he looked like a player they picked out of the crowd to, to play or a pub player. Um, now, if I'm, you know, if I'm a cynical old-style centre-back, I'm treading on Mitrovic's ankle as much as I can to see how it really is. Mm. And, you know, that could become a problem. So you've just got to be confident that we've learned our lesson from playing him when we shouldn't have done earlier in the season and that the sports science is going to guide it, guide it sensibly because this is the most ridiculous of seasons that will never be repeated where you seem to be playing every five minutes and he will need a rest and I think it's, it's time for a rest he's probably after that Leicester game where there's a little break and we have him back for Chelsea mm. um, but you know that's we're looking too far ahead the mantra is every game they will probably have another discussion um, to see how much he can play on Saturday and, you know, hopefully the great scenario will be he does an hour and we're comfortably ahead and you can say, thanks, Mitro, give, have a standing ovation and Vinicius gets 30 minutes. But that's the very positive scenario. We, we just have to manage this sensibly. Yeah. And there's no one I trust more to manage things sensibly than Marco Silva. Yeah. My biggest concern, though, is obviously no, not many players go, on the, go onto the pitch and... Is a completely hundred percent. So most players will be carrying a, a small niggle, but I'm just worried that that ninety percent, well, the small ten percent where he's struggling, could then turn into a situation where he's just irritated it too much, and it's a long, long time on the sidelines. Um, but that's just me being pessimistic, and I think that comes with the territory of being a Fulham fan, though, doesn't it? Um, Tom, so. Regarding Saturday, does Marco Silva make any changes from the victorious side from Palace and Boxing Day? Um, no, I don't, I don't think you need to make any changes as long as Robinson came for it without picking up any more of an injury. Obviously, he was he, he was a doubt as well. Um, I think that was probably our best back four. I think Diop deserves a mention because he's he's really beginning to to make that place his. Um. Mm. I thought Pereira was brilliant again. Reed, Bobby Reed, a brilliant. You know, he's kind of becoming like the Zoltan Gira of this this team, a bit un, unsung hero type thing. And yeah, I don't think you need to make any changes. Obviously, Solomon, I'd like to see him on the bench if he's available. I know they don't want to risk throwing him straight in there, but yeah, I think you know when you when you go away from home and win three nil, I don't think you need to make. Any changes, really, unless they're forced. Yeah, it's just that fixture congestion. Um, yeah. But Dan, will Marco Silva make any changes? Because he is he, he is uh, favourable to the odd change here or there. He is. Um, and I think any manager, any, any head coach worth their salt looks at the situation day by day, looks at the opposition. And, you know, he's got a terrific... Uh, analyst, you know, Antonis Lemonakis, who, 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 uh, and the rest of his coaching staff to look at where we can really hurt the opposition 
Uh, and that's why Bobby Dequid Overeed, who, who Tom mentioned, has been so, it was such an inspired selection. You know, when are we going to see Harry Wilson start a game again? Does he, you know, can he, can he come in? Is he, is he a player who just needs a little bit of time off the bench? We do have a number of options. Yeah, that we so, can utilise. Um, I think it's probably a little bit early for Manuel, Manuel Solomon. So at the moment, we're all saying, no, keep the same team. But he may have something tactically up his sleeve that asks a different question of Southampton. And that's what I'm intrigued about. Yeah. See, Harry Wilson's one for me that last season, you just knew he was too good for the championship. So this was going to be his real test. Um, I'd, I would like to see him start. If he's able to start, if not, he needs to be playing more game time, um, which is quite crazy when you think just how good Bobby Reed's doing. Um, but I'm going to ask you both for a score prediction. Um, Thomas, I'm going to start with you. Uh, I think it could be another 3-0, to be honest. Something like that. Ooh, see, these score lines make me uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, what's your prediction? Yeah, I'm very bullish about this. I, I think Southampton are just going to be much tighter than than they were against Brighton. They're not going to want to give it. They, they have the luxury of watching that game. I'm going to go with a one-one because I think it, you know a point at home is it. We, we banked three points from Palace. A point at home, it's, you know, we want to win and Silverwall want to win, but we need to keep picking up points. To keep ourselves moving forward in the in 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 a general direction, because I think Leicester in the new year away that's going to be a very difficult game. Um, so as long as we're picking up points, but I I, I can't see Southampton aside uh, with a squad of real quality and a manager who wants to make a mark being as bad as they were um, uh, uh, on Boxing Day. Uh, I think they'll have a surprise up their sleeves. Obviously, I hope I'm dreadfully wrong. But I've just got an iffy feeling about this. Yeah, see, that iffy feeling, it's an its an uncomfortable one, considering it's a game that many people are going to be expecting us to win now. Um, and to be honest, it's a game that, if you look at both sides, we probably should win. Um, but I'm going to go for a 1-0 victory. It's going to be one of those games where we hit the post, the crossbar, we do everything but score. And then we'll somehow put a ball in the net towards the end of the game. Um, but I'm hoping for another clean sheet because they're important. I think now the, one of the most pleasing aspects of the Palace win was the fact that, yes, OK, they went down to 10 men early and then they went down to nine men. But I don't think um, Leno had a, had, a, had a save to make, did he? Um, which is a positive. Tim Ream and Diop seem to have formed a formidable partnership. I feel quite sorry for Tossin. Um, I can't see him being with us too much longer because he's going to want game time. But... Yeah, I'm going to go for a 1-0 victory. Now, the Saints will be the last game of the year 2022 for us. Um, Thomas, I'm going to start with you here. The year's been fantastic. It's seen Mitrovic break records. It's seen us score goals for fun. It's seen us compete in the Premier League. And, you know, we're more than holding our own this season. What would you say was your highlight of 2022? And where does it rank in the whole time of watching for, I mean, one of my highlights was Tom Kearney's goal against Cardiff, just for what it meant to him 
and like you could see the whole stadium just erupted for him it was just one of those moments that will forever live long in your memory especially for what Tom's done for the club and who he is to the club I mean there's that moment there's obviously when we got promotion and you know the pitch invasion and, and you know seeing players lifted aloft by the fans um, and then you know this season just well pretty much every time we win a game it's like the way we play is just it's just a breath of fresh air Harrison Reed scoring his first goal for us that was the, the you know hit the smile on his face that was that was incredible to see you know just just the togetherness of the team and you know resurrection of Tim Ream for the you know the entirety of the year <laughs> um yeah there's there's been so many and I, I don't think I could pinpoint one but if I have to it'd probably be there's, there's a photo that goes it went around Twitter when when Fulham got promoted and the pitch invasion of Tom Kearney being li- lifted aloft with the, the light shining down on him from the floodlight and I, I just think that moment you know this you know how how happy he was how happy the fans were that moment just epitomized that se- this, this this last season for us and you know long may it continue really I think yeah, it's, it's right up there as one of my favourite moments. And where would the uh, the year 2022 rank in Ooh. comparison to your time watching Fulham? Oh, God. Well, obviously, Roy's year, Roy's time in charge was, Roy Hodgson's time in charge was, you know, fantastic for everyone. And that team with, you know, Danny Murphy and Bobby Zamora and, the, you know, the run in Europe to the final... I mean, it's, it's got to be up there with that at the moment, to be honest, the way we're playing, the manager, it, it kind of feels very similar to that time. So, yeah, I'd, I'd put it up there alongside that for me because, yeah, that, I think that that was my high point as a Fulham fan. Dan? Same question to you. Alan, mate, yeah. Um, this is really hard. Because it's it's, stati- it's statistically the best year Fulham Football Club has ever ever had. Okay, we've never been um, so strong ever. It eclipses um, the genre to go like the the, the 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 closest comparator for me in terms of how good Fulham have been is that um, the genre to go on a team that once stormed the first division. And then went into the Premier League, and we were pretty good calendar year wise, um, all told. But obviously, we struggled with the with the transition to to the Premier League, and, and the form dropped off sort of November December time. Um, I think oh one oh two that 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 would have been. Um, this is up there in terms of results, but it's difficult because my, my favourite season is the Mickey Adams promotion season. It'll always be, um, for very personal reasons, Mickey Adams' brother has cerebral palsy, um, which is my disability. And um, the players and the, and the staff and the fans really took to, to me as somebody. And I, I felt like I could go and watch Fulham away. And a couple of the times the lads even had me on the, on the coach. And you know, getting back from Carlisle on the train will always live long in the memory. Um, Tom's already referenced the Europa League season, um, but this is this is right up there in terms of continued class because 
we went up a division, we don't look out of place. And given what we've been through the last few times we've been in the Premier League, you know, this is right there. Um, my moment, can I pivot to my moment of 2022? Of course, um, please do. Yeah. Um, it's a very uh, personal one to me. Um, and it's after uh, Mitrovic scored the scored the goal, after everything had happened. Um, they got someone who I stood with and and, and watched Fulham with from from a, from a long, long time. Completely, a complete surprise to walk out and give the trophy to Tom Kenny, and that's Mary Southgate, who's made a hundred appearance, more than a hundred appearances, coming up for hundred and fifty appearances for. Uh, Fulham women um, is a wonderful ambassador for for sport, for education. She's a PE teacher. She comes from a Fulham mad family. Ed, Roger, and Sandra all regulars at um, at Craven College. They don't sit very far from me in the in the Hammersmith end. Um, and to have Mary not only hand the trophy over to Tom Kearney, but then when the celebrations were going off, she ran over to her block of the Hammersmith end and gave it the big trophy lift and the whole crowd recognised that moment as a power, as a symbol uh, and what it led to was Fulham women playing back at Craven Cottage in front of more than 3,000 supporters last month um, that we've all talked about and all enjoyed and for every young girl out there this year has been transformational because no one will ever be able to tell a young girl in England ever again that they can't be a footballer or they can't play football. Um, and I'm very proud of our football club for recognising that they probably dropped the ball in terms of dropping the, the women's team. Um, and we're right behind them now. Um, and so, yeah, this year doesn't have a parallel. It's very difficult to choose. They'll be writing books about 2022. We will all be able to tell our friends, our children, our grandchildren in future years that we were there watching the best Fulham team the most stylish Fulham team there's ever been and as Tom referenced you know every time we you know Nottingham Forest away will live long in the memory I was there with our good friend Lydia Campbell um, who went absolutely crazy when Harrison Reed scored his first goal right in front of us the, the celebration took place um, and yeah it will live. It will live long in the memory, and it's not done yet. You know, we've got another game, and I would say we're going to pay a special tribute to George Cohen on on Saturday. We're going to have to put Pele into the pantheon of greats as well. It'd be a very special day, and hopefully, we can serve up something to see off 2022 in style, with the premise that 2023 has the potential to be really exciting. Mm. Yeah, I think it would be fit, quite fitting if Kenny Tete got on the score sheet on Saturday. Um, but for me, this year is up there with one of the best, um, if we're talking from January to December. I think my most favourite year would probably be probably 2008, um, which was the Great Escape, towards the end of the Great Escape season. And then Hodgson just transformed the squad um, and then ultimately towards the end of that year and then the following year we finished seventh um but that's one sort of calendar year which sticks out in my mind but this one has just been a joy to watch from from start to finish we feel like for me personally I've always been quite critical of of Tony Khan 
and the Khans in particular, but not Shahid as much, but Tony in particular. But I do feel now, I think lessons have been learned and the club's in so much of a better place, especially this year compared to in previous Premier League campaigns. Um, and, you know, we're right to compliment Marco Silva and his team for what they're doing, the players. But, you know, I I think if we're quick enough to cr- criticise certain individuals when they're doing wrong, we have to be, you know, humble enough to say, look, they're doing a good job now. Um, but I suppose the, the highlight of this calendar year for me would probably be when Mitrovic scored the, the, the seventh goal against Luton. Um, in front of the hammy end, which was, I think it was the last kick of the game. Um, the man, Mitrovic, has just been ridiculous from for sort of the last 18 months. And I'm just hoping and praying that we can keep him beyond January, beyond May. Um, I know he's contracted to 2026, but the form he's in, there's going to be a lot of the big clubs sniff around him, um, especially come to, towards the end of the season. I can see. Yeah, story. mate, they have to. They have to show us. I'm going to go all Jerry Maguire. They have to show us the money, okay, <laughs> for Mitrovic. We're paying him a lot of money, and they have to show. Well, they don't have to show me the money, Alan, but they have to show the, the gentleman you've just referenced, Tony Khan in particular, Shahid Khan. They have to show them the money, and there ain't going to be many people who've got as much, have got a big enough suitcase to show the money to to those two particular gentlemen. And uh, just on Mitrovic, uh, Tristan Puterajic, I've massacred his surname again, I'm going to get pelters <laughs> now, um, put out that wonderful tweet because um, he's a massive stato. Mitrovic has now scored 53 goals in, in 56 league appearances. Um, it's phenomenal. He's incredible. And the thing is, he's happy at Fulham. He's playing every week. There's nowhere, no, no club, name the clubs in the Premier League who could afford to pay his wages and play him every week and have him achieving in the manner that he has. And you read his quotes and, and see, listen to his quotes from, uh, from after the game on, uh, on Boxing Day about how much he loves playing for this team. Right. Mm-hmm. He ain't going nowhere. What I would say to you is we've lost a star striker at this point in a in a calendar year before. And that was the first year Hammy End was covering Fulham Football Club, 2003-4, to Manchester United, Louis Sahar, right? And if we hadn't lost Louis Sahar in 2003-4, we'd have played Champions League football. I'm certain of it. We're not going to make mm-hmm. that mistake again. And much of that is down to the fact that, as you said, Alan, we've got the balance right at the moment. Marco Silva... Tony Khan, Charlie Khan, Alistair McIntosh. The football club is, is at a pivotal moment, right? The supporters can get behind and enjoy this wonderful football. And we're at a moment where we can really establish ourselves again if everybody pulls together. And that's not just everybody who works for the Fulham Football Club. That's everybody involved in the, in the Fulham family. And it's what George Cohen and, and what's so great about Fulham is we all pull in the same direction. Yeah. Uh, and we have a chance to to do that now. And Mitrovic likes being the focal point. He likes the relationship he has with with the Fulham fans. You know, he's quite a shy guy off the field. He doesn't like to say very much. He lets his football do the talking. That's fine with me. Um, he ain't going anywhere. 
right? So, you know, they can put all the money in front. They've all tried. You know, when we were when we when we went down there, there, there was lo- loads of offers for Alexander Mitrovic, and if Tony Khan and Marco Silva and everybody can persuade Alexander Mitrovic to play in the Championship for another year and deliver what he's done, and now he's delivering it in the Premier League, you know that's what's exciting. Getting back to full fitness, what can he do? You know, the the record is in sight. Gordon, I love Gordon Davis. I'm sorry to say, sorry to say this, but you know, Alexander Mitrovic could break all the records, and we would have to have a serious statue of him. I mean, he's going to get a statue anyway. But what we're going to, you know, we're going to have to name some roads after some of these people <laughs> at some point, you know. Um, so the only issue yeah. is then those roads from. Uh... On Fulham Palace Road, already in alphabetical order, so we're going to be yeah, uh... yeah we're no, we're going to need to be creative. Well, <laughs> a Alexander Mitrovic <laughs> Avenue, we're, we're you know that that sounds good to me, but he's good. But we're not. Let's let's just let's just you know let's just calm down because we won't need to talk about that for a while because he's fit, he's healthy, he's happy, and he's banging him in for Fulham. You, you um, do make a good point, though. I I do think we're at a, a stage now where if the Khans want to be serious. We depending where we finish come May, we we have a few talents here, like in Mitrovic, in Paulinia, that you build a team around them. We could we could do some serious stuff next season. Um, both are on big contracts. Um, you mentioned name some clubs that be willing to pay his wages. Now, there is another club down Fulham Road who. Are desperately in need of a striker. Um, I, I've heard people mention Man United are in need of a striker. Now, you know, they have history in stealing our, our best striker, uh, as you mentioned in Louis Saha. Um, and the thing is with Mitrovic, if he did get an offer that was too good to refuse come May, you know, I don't think anyone would begrudge him that move because he has given us more than what we expected out of him in terms of his commitment, in terms of his loyalty. Um, but, mate, but... this is your intrinsic pessimism shining through again. Like, let's just be clear about this. The two clubs you've mentioned, OK, the, the club down the Fulham Road, they, they've been sanctioned by the state, right? The, Todd Bowley doesn't have the money to invest that the previous, that, that uh, Roman Abramovich ruinously stole from various... Uh, parts of Russia, okay, like they 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 can't afford to sign Mitrovic either in January or in May. Manchester United can't afford to sign a striker permanently in, in January. They've signalled that they won't. They're going to try and do it in in June. And also, so let's be clear: are we really saying that those two particular clubs, they if they really pushed the boat out and got Mitrovic, that he would start thirty-eight Premier League games for them? Absolutely. I really don't, well, you're saying it, but I reckon that the managers of those two two football clubs, Graham Potter and Eric Ten Hag, would want younger, faster, you know, pacier forwards with more resale value. If we if we're looking at finances, and I, I don't, you know, the famous last words here, but let's just enjoy what we've got at the moment, right? The finances, they those two clubs can't make the finances work. Barcelona, Real Madrid, they can't make the finances work. None of the Bundesliga clubs will be able to do it because of 50 plus one, right? So what does that leave you? France, 
Italy. The Italians haven't got any money. They're trying to get 10 million euros for Rick Carsdorp. I mean, Mourinho can um, swivel on that one, frankly. <laughs> and I hope we've told him where he can stick his flag, his Roman flag, if necessary. Um, right. So no, no, none, of these, none of these clubs can play at the level that they need to to get to buy Mitrovic. Okay. So we're in a great position here. We've got an asset that everybody would like. He's happy where he is. The key thing is, if we're going to be serious, and the Khans do want to be serious, the person they need to be talking to about committing to Fulham Football Club is Marco Silva, right? Yeah. Let's absolutely. get a long. Let's get Marco Silva on a long term <coughs> contract, right? And your contract extension, and then let's talk about how we can add to the assets that we already have. Because I'm here to tell you, you've got some wonderful players coming through the youth system. I'm really excited about Luke Harris. And you know, both of you know that. I've talked to you about Luke Harris for a long, long time. Luke Harris is going to be quality. He's not the only one. Ollie O'Neill, you know, um, Lamar Gordon in the under-18s. There, there, there are many more talents coming through. Um, and that's the exciting part as Fulham fans, we are starting to have a greater pathway through the 18s, through the 21s, into the first team. And that is where we will bridge the gap. Now, things like the Riverside stand, the revenue that will be generated from it in, in, in time, could take us into a higher echelon than we've ever been in terms of financial power. Um, but, you know, let's not run away with ourselves. The key focus is Let's finish 2022 strongly on Saturday. We're not in control of what goes on on the pitch. The fans can give a great tribute to George Cohen. And we can go into... I can't think of a time sitting before a new year thinking about what Fulham can do that I've been this optimistic since Jean Tigana's team was storming the championship. Okay? You know, you make a great point about 2008, Al. You know, it's 15 years yesterday since Roy Hodgson was appointed and we should congratulate whoever that was. Uh, Mohamed Al-Fayed needs to take the congratulations because that's the best managerial appointment Fulham have ever made, right? But we are at that cusp of a point now. And unfortunately, the Hodgson era ended with Hodgson going to Liverpool and we missed the opportunity to build on his great work because we appointed somebody who was all about ego um, rather than about building Fulham Football Club. So, so let's just savour the stylish football that we've got and really enjoy it and celebrate what we've done so far before we start worrying about what's going to happen next. And that comes with a territory of being a Fulham fan, Dan. You know that. Um, pessimistic <laughs> comes with a territory. Um, I know, but I have but... to balance out your pessimism with some optimism. Otherwise, everyone's going to be, you know, really, really scared when they finish no. this podcast. No, 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 Dan. Be, be happy, Alan. It's not going to hurt you. Enjoy it. <laughs> but listen, you've been supported Fulham now for 40 plus years, Dan, as we've already figured <laughs> out, right? You know for a fact, whenever things seem too good to be true, more times than, more times than not, you know, we get a, a bite of uh, reality, but... In, in regards to your Marco Silva point, um, I'm not worried about him going whatsoever. I think he's got a, a point to make in England with his time at Everton, Watford and Hull. I think his name was tarnished a little bit before he joined us. Um, so he, he does have a point to make. Um, Thomas, I, I'm so sorry, you know, me and Dan have been waffling on it. Um, <laughs> is there anything you want to add to the points we've made? 
well, um, <laughs> good luck. Just wake up a bit. Uh, no, just um, yeah, the, the Marco Silva thing. I, I do think that he deserves credit, and the only way a club can show credit is by giving tying him down to a long term contract and giving him what he wants. To be honest, uh, I think he's he's so key in all the the transfers. He's so key in the team and training and the the morale around the place. I think he is the key in all of it. Obviously, the Mitrovic thing. You know, we're all hearing rumours that he, you know, he wants to go, he wants this. He, but, I mean, he's a Fulham player and Fulham hold the cards. He's contracted to 2026. And like Dan says, they have to show us the money. So we'll see what happens with that one. Obviously, I mean, Lewis Saha was probably the first time I cried when Fulham sold a player. So <laughs> it, it, was, uh, it was a very sad day for me to see Saha leave the club. And it will be a very sad day when Mitrovic goes, if he goes. But, yeah, I mean, I think we do need to just ride the crest of the wave at the moment and just enjoy this season because it has been two very dire Premier League seasons previous to this and we constantly get tarnished with that brush of the yo-yo club going to go up with, you know, your Norwich will go up one year and we'll go up the next year. To to have the, the breath of fresh air that we've got now and people actually standing up and taking notice of Fulham and of the way we play and the transfer business that we've done, it's just nice to hear people saying Fulham are doing well. And it's just nice to see us, to go to a game on Saturday and not worry about conceding four goals, but, you know, thinking about possibly scoring four goals in the Premier League and, you know, having players like Palina, like Mitrovic, like, like Bert Leno, you know, these top players who could play at a higher level, but they're playing for Fulham. Uh, and I think having that spine of the team that we've got at the moment, it's just, it's brilliant to see. And I do think that Marco Silva and the recruitment team will add to it in January and in the summer, because obviously we're, we're seeing links with the likes of Cedric Suarez, Abdullah Dekouri, Frank Kessie. We're seeing the links already. And they've made it clear that they want a right back and they want a central midfielder, whereas previous windows, it's just been scattergun. So I do think that lessons have been learned and I do think that targets are being set out early on and I do think that we should all just really be enjoying the way the club is being the run, the way the team are playing and the, and the morale around the place at the moment. Yeah, and I just want to make one more point on Mitrovic, uh, which Dan Crawford said about him breaking records. I actually interviewed Gordon Davis uh, last month and you can listen to that on the uh, Green Pole um, podcast. Uh, and I actually mentioned to him that Mitrovic was on his way to breaking Gordon Davis's record, which he wasn't very happy about, um, which wasn't the greatest way to start an interview, but he saw the funny side of it. But 2022 has been absolutely fantastic. Um, and let's hope we're sitting here in 12 months' time, if the podcast hasn't been shut down by then, um, and we're just reflecting on another fantastic 12 months it's not me dan this is you i'm talking about um but look gentlemen it's been absolutely fantastic um we've up with in regards to the podcast um dan um me and yourself set this up now for it's near enough just over four months um i just want to thank everyone for listening to the podcasts since it's been up and running there will be plenty more to come in 2023 because we are fairly new to the industry in terms of the audio content 
um, Dan Crawford and a few others have been done some fantastic work in terms of articles for it'll be 20 years next year actually um, so Dan thank you very much um, is there anything you want to add before we we sign off just want to wish just want to wish everyone um, a happy new year because um, I'm not sure how quickly we'll be able to talk about Southampton um, whether we get that out before it is actually new year I, th- I think it's unlikely mm. um, so yeah yeah so let's wish everyone connected to the Fulham Football Club a happy new year um, because it's been brilliant and as you say the reception to what was a sort of harebrained scheme in August that we, we the three of us and, and uh, a couple of others Lydia and, and Frankie have uh, put together here it's been phenomenal I get stopped by people who recognise my voice from when I'm shouting at the ref or the lino or something and they realise that I'm something to do with this and I'm not really I just talk nonsense Um, it's your idea Al and uh, we've really I'm really absolutely blown away that people actually want to listen to us talk about Fulham I mean they must be mad it's crazy isn't it it's remarkable (laughs) Uh, Thomas I'm going to leave you with the final the final words of 2022 take it away yeah just if everyone can at the hammy end their um, favourite moments of 2022 for us we'll pick out the top three between us and we'll uh, we'll read them out on the the next pod hopefully after uh, three points against Southampton on Saturday Happy New Year everybody thank you for listening <laughs>